Well, hey, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you here today. I want to welcome all of you worshiping here in person. And I also want to give a shout out to everybody watching online. I know that for some of you, you can't be here in person, whether that's um, because you're in quarantine or because you're sick or you just need to be careful right now, or maybe it's the weather, but uh, wherever you are, I'm glad you joined us today. And as I get started here, uh, I want to bring up a few happy memories. I have a question for you. As you look back over your life, what would you say is your favorite year so far? Your favorite year. And and if it's too hard to pick just one, uh, it's okay to have a top three or a top five. Uh, Some of us might go all the way back to childhood, or maybe your favorite year wasn't really that long ago. Uh, For myself, as I got to thinking about this, the first thing that came to mind was my senior year in high school. That was a really good year. See, in ninth grade, uh, that was was a rough time for me. But by 12th grade, uh, things had turned around. I, I had a car for the first time. I was driving to school. I got to play on the football team and the basketball team. I was the student council treasurer. I was the lead in the school musical. And against all odds, I finally had a girlfriend. So, yeah, things were going well. However, I'd have to say that some years were even better. Uh, There was 2005 when Hannah and I got married. There was 2009 and 2011 and 2012 when each of our three kids were born. And as I thought about it, I've had quite a few standout years, and I hope that's been the case for you, too. But today, I want to talk about a year that tops them all. It's something we read about in the Bible. It's called the year of the Lord's favor. And you can go to several places in Scripture to read about this, but today we're going back to Luke chapter 4. For several weeks now, we've been in this series called The Way Forward. And the goal of this series is to be clear about how God wants us to move forward as a church. How, how is he leading us right now? And we know that for Plum Creek or for any church that wants to be clear about God's calling, we need to look to Jesus. And that's what takes us back to Luke chapter 4. Uh, this, this part of the Bible, it, it's that pivotal moment when Jesus began his ministry uh, he's already been baptized by John the Baptist. He's, he's already been tempted in the wilderness by the devil. And now it's time to get down to business. So Jesus goes back to his hometown, the town of Nazareth. And on the Sabbath day, he goes to worship in the synagogue. That was his custom. And in that service, Jesus stands up to read scripture in front of the congregation. And somebody hands him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And then unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And by now, some of you know what Jesus did next. He he said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This prophecy has come to pass. I am the one Isaiah was writing about. And these are the things that I've come to do. And of course, it's very important for followers of Jesus to pay attention to these words. Because God has called us to follow the example of Jesus. 
Now, we can't do exactly what he did the way that he did it, but God does enable the church to carry out his ministry. So throughout this series, we've taken this passage, and every week we've focused on a particular phrase. And we're seeing how the mission of Jesus becomes our mission today. And let's do a quick review. Uh, In week one, we focused on good news to the poor. And then in week two, that was about freedom for the oppressed. Last Sunday, we we talked about uh, sight for the blind. And today, we're going to look at the year of the Lord's favor. So that's an interesting phrase. What does that mean? What was Jesus talking about here? Uh, What did Isaiah mean when he wrote those words? Well, to answer those questions, I had to do a little studying this week. and, And what I found was fascinating. I'm excited to share that with you. But before we get into that, I want you to know, the year of the Lord's favor, it's not just something that happened in the past. This this applies to us here and now. And I realize uh, we're coming off of a year that was tough for a lot of us. Uh, 2020 had more than its share of low points. And here in 2021, man, we're not even to February, and we've already hit a few rough spots But despite all of that, I have some hopeful news to share today. 2021 can be the year of the Lord's favor. Now, I'm not saying that you'll get rich or famous or that all your dreams will come true. And I'm not promising that bad things won't happen. But here's what I do mean. 2021 can be a year when you know that God is with you. You can know that he is smiling on you. He's got your back, and he is in the process of taking you exactly where you need to be. But I need to point out an important word right here. It's the word can. 2021 can be the year of the Lord's favor, but it's also possible for any one of us to miss it. As we look at Scripture today, we're going to learn from some people who could have experienced the Lord's favor. They had every opportunity to receive the ultimate blessing from God, but they missed it. They let that opportunity pass them by. So here's my advice for you and for me and for anyone listening right now. 2021 can be the year of the Lord's favor, so don't miss it. Now, just a heads up, we're going to hop back and forth all over history today. So I want to give you a timeline that will help you get your bearings. And we start here in the present, 2021. And when I read Luke chapter 4 just now, we went back to the time of Jesus. That was around the year A.D. 28. A lot of Bible scholars say that's when Jesus started his ministry. That's when he stood up in the synagogue of Nazareth and read those words from the scroll of Isaiah. And speaking of Isaiah, that takes us back to the prophet himself. Isaiah, and, Isaiah lived and he wrote around 700 B.C. Uh, that's 700 years before Jesus was born. And, and that's an amazing thing because Isaiah made quite a few prophecies about the Messiah and Jesus fulfilled all of those prophecies. But we can't stop there. We need to rewind a few more years all the way back to 1300 B.C. So on this timeline, we have four specific years spanning over 30 centuries. 
And each one of these four stops will help us understand the year of the Lord's favor. Now, like I said, we we already visited A.D. 28, but let's go back to 700 B.C., to the time of Isaiah. Now, in Isaiah's lifetime, the nation of Israel was ruled by kings. And if you're familiar with Old Testament history, you know that from a spiritual perspective, the time of the kings was not good for the people of Israel. See, God had promised to bless the nation in a powerful way if only they would be faithful to him, if only they would follow his commands. But most of those kings were evil. They led the nation into idolatry. They worshiped false gods. And the the people of Israel, they were happy to follow the example of those kings. So Isaiah, the prophet, spoke on God's behalf. He said, hey guys, if you don't change, if things don't turn around, judgment will come. And spoiler alert, about a hundred years after Isaiah died, God's judgment did come. An army from Babylon swept into town and they conquered Jerusalem. They burned the temple to the ground and they carried off the Jews into captivity. It was a terrible time for the people of Israel. However, in the midst of that national tragedy, there was some good news. Back a hundred years earlier, when Isaiah wrote, he talked about a promise. He said that there will be a remnant from Israel, a, a group that will turn back to God, and God will be faithful. He will send the Messiah, the suffering servant, and God will save the people. God will restore them to himself. And that's what Jesus was reading about in A.D. 28 in the synagogue in Nazareth. So uh, let's take a second and let's do what Jesus did. Uh, In the same way that Jesus read from the scroll of Isaiah, let's read from the book of Isaiah. Uh, Jesus read from Isaiah chapter 61. And the wording is slightly different here, but you'll see that it's very similar. Isaiah 61, starting with verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, Isaiah goes on from here, uh, but we're stopping in the middle of verse 2, because that's where Jesus stopped. He stopped right there, the year of the Lord's favor. Now, I want you to imagine something for a second. Let's say you're one of those Jews who lived a hundred years after Isaiah. Let's say you witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem and and you were carried off into captivity in Babylon. And picture yourself sitting in this foreign land. You are so homesick. You've got PTSD from everything that you've seen and experienced. And then someone shares these words with you. These words from Isaiah 61. What do you think those words would mean to you? Well, I think it would be very encouraging to hear about good news for the poor, freedom for captives, hope for the brokenhearted. But what about that phrase, the year of the Lord's favor? What would that mean to you? Well, chances are you would know exactly what that phrase meant. 
Now, for us in 2021, most of us need a little context. And this is where we have to go back to 1300 B.C., to the book of Leviticus. Now, Leviticus has this reputation. Some people say it's boring, uh, it's hard to read, and that's kind of true, but we're not going to be intimidated. And this book is actually very interesting. In Leviticus, God is speaking to Moses up on Mount Sinai. And God gives Moses all kinds of instructions for the people of Israel. He lays out all these detailed guidelines for ceremonies and sacrifices and how to live as God's holy people. And if you flip over to Leviticus chapter 25, God says to Israel, mark your calendars because I want you to observe a very special year. It's called the year of Jubilee. It also has another name, the year of the Lord's favor. Now, this special year, it's a part of a larger pattern that God established. It's a rhythm of work and rest. And part of this pattern is very familiar to us. It's the basic structure of a week. And you know how this works, right? God commanded his people to work six days, Sunday through Friday. And the seventh day was to be a Sabbath day of rest. It's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You're to give that day to the Lord. And there were several reasons for this. For one thing, the Sabbath reminds us of creation. God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. But there's another reason that God gave this command. He knows that we need it. A lot of us are tempted to work seven days a week, uh, but God knows that we need some downtime. Our our physical bodies need rest, but our souls also need spiritual rest. And we find that rest by taking a break from our work and going to God in worship. And like I said, we're all familiar with the rhythm of a week, but that wasn't the end of it. God also told Israel to observe a Sabbath year, and it worked like this. For six years in a row, the people could plant and harvest their crops as usual. But in the seventh year, the land was to have a Sabbath of rest. God said, do not reap, do not sow, leave the fields fallow, allow the land to rest. Now, As far as we know, the people had no idea why this practice would be good for the land. They didn't know about crop rotation. They probably weren't thinking about the fact that a Sabbath year would renew the environment. It would allow wildlife to return. So think about it. For the people of Israel, this would have been a scary command to follow, right? And they wouldn't know why they needed to follow it. And their obvious question would be, God, if we don't plant our crops, how are we going to live? And God's answer was just, trust me, trust me. God said that in year six, he would bless the people with an abundant harvest. There would be a surplus. There would be more than enough to cover year seven. But in order to follow God's command, the people would need faith, right? Because they're putting themselves in a place of total dependence on God. And that would already be tough to do, but the cycle doesn't end there. Beyond the Sabbath day, beyond the Sabbath year, God instituted something even bigger. The year of Jubilee. 
And here's how that worked. After seven Sabbath years, you have a total of 49 years, right? Seven times seven is 49. And then after that comes the year 50. And 50 is the year of ju- the Jubilee. It's, it's kind of like a super Sabbath. And if you go to Le- Leviticus chapter 25, verse 10, uh, you, you see this command. In, God, in, in that verse, God says to Moses, consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all of its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. So during this special year, several things are happening. First, it's a time of celebration. It's a time of rejoicing. The word jubilee, it's interesting. The word jubilee means blowing the ram's horn. And that's how they kicked off this whole thing. On the, se- on the tenth day of the seventh month, someone would blow the ram's horn, and that started a whole series of blessings. Uh, the year of Jubilee brought freedom from debt. Captives were set free. Slaves were released. Property was returned to its original owners, and it was another period of rest for the land and for the people. And for the entire nation, this was a reminder that God is the one who provides. God is the one who brings freedom, and God is the one who brings rest. And through the ages, the year of Jubilee is a concept that's been inspiring to all kinds of people. In fact, if you ever visit Philadelphia, make sure you go see the famous Liberty Bell. Uh, That's the one with the big crack down the side. And when you visit, look closely at the bell's inscription. Right at the top, you'll find Leviticus 25, verse 10. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land. So, yeah, it's inspiring. A lot of us are drawn to this concept of freedom and liberty. But I have to go back to that chart for a second. In order to experience this celebration, do you see what you have to do? The year of Jubilee comes immediately after the seventh Sabbath year. They're back to back. So what does that mean? Well, that means the land has to rest two years in a row. So you're not only trusting God for one whole year, now you have to double that. But these were the instructions God gave, and he promised to provide. And down in Leviticus 25, 21, God said, during year six, uh, right before the Sabbath year, that last Sabbath year, and right before the year of Jubilee, God said, I'm going to bless you so much that the land will produce enough to cover three years. And really, this is no different from any other time in history. Following God always requires faith and trust. You have to say, God, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm going to do what you're telling me to do. I'm going to take the step that you're calling me to take, and I'm putting my life in your hands. So how did Israel do in this area? Did they follow God's instructions for the Sabbath year and the year of Jubilee? Well, there's a lot that we don't know. Uh, It's possible that they did follow his instructions, at least for a while. Uh, But remember what I said earlier about the period of the kings? During that time, we do know that Israel did not observe the year of Jubilee. And at that point, 
They weren't listening to the one true God. They weren't following his instructions. They were running after false gods. And that's when God sent prophets like Isaiah to say, listen up. If you don't stop this nonsense, destruction is coming. And like I said, that destruction did come. But that wasn't the end of the story, right? God also made that promise. There would be a small remnant of people who turned back to God. And from that remnant, God would bring salvation. He would send deliverance through God's anointed one, the Messiah, the suffering servant. God would bring salvation for the people. And that takes us back to A.D. 28, when Jesus is in the synagogue of Nazareth. And you know, we've been reading this passage from Luke 4 for about a month now, but we've never finished the story. So I think it's about time we did that. We left off at Luke 4, verse 21. And Jesus read from the scroll, and he told the congregation that he was the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. And now, let's go on and read verse 22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. So right here, the people of Nazareth are big fans of Jesus. They've got that feeling that you have when somebody from your hometown becomes a hero or becomes famous. But the people still wanted more. They were waiting for Jesus to prove himself. They wanted a miracle. And then Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Jesus knew what these people were thinking. They wanted to know, What's Jesus going to do for my family? What's he going to do for me? They had very high hopes, but their hopes were centered around themselves And Jesus is about to expose their self-centeredness in a dramatic way. Verse 24, Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And I assure you, in Elijah's, I assure you, there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. I wish I could have seen the looks on people's faces as Jesus is saying this. He starts starts talking about these outsiders, these non-Jews who were blessed by God. The widow of Zarephath, she got a visit from the prophet Elijah, but she was a Gentile. And then Naaman, he's healed by God, but he was also a Gentile. And not only that, he had leprosy. He was unclean. He was an unclean Gentile. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's saying, hey, hey guys, I came here with good news. I came to bring freedom. But this freedom is not just for you. It's for everyone. So clearly, this is a good thing, right? Well, the people of Nazareth didn't think so. Verse 28, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. 
furious when they heard that God intended to bless Gentiles, people outside of the Jewish community. So they got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But it wasn't his time yet. He walked right through the crowd, and he went on his way. This is a tragic story, isn't it? Think about it. Jesus went back to his hometown to launch his ministry, and he gave his friends and his neighbors the first opportunity to experience the freedom that only he could bring. They could have entered a year of jubilee, a year of the Lord's favor, but they missed it. They were blinded by the sins of racism and prejudice. They were blinded by the sins of selfishness and pride. Jesus was offering exactly what they needed, but they weren't willing to listen. They weren't willing to change. And this had to be heartbreaking for Jesus. The people of Nazareth were literally in the same room as the Messiah, but they still missed out on God's blessing. Imagine what could have happened if they had put their trust in Jesus on that day. Over the next three years, they would have seen all kinds of miracles. And then they would have seen the ultimate miracle, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And and listen, this is where all the dots are connected. Check this out. For Jesus, Friday, the day of the crucifixion, that was a day of work for him because he, he accomplished the work of our forgiveness. He took our sin on his shoulders. He paid that penalty of death in order to bring us freedom. So that was Friday. That was a day of work. And then on Saturday, what happened? He died on Friday. He was placed in the tomb. His body was laid to rest. On Saturday, the Sabbath, he rested. And this is amazing. What comes next? On Sunday morning, what happened? Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive again. And for everyone who trusts in him, the resurrection is the beginning of the 50th year. When Jesus walked out of that tomb, it was the year of Jubilee. Why? It's because we had the chance to be set free. We don't have to be slaves from sin. We don't have to be slaves to fear and death. When the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. So let's make sure we don't miss out on this. And and let's be clear about what it means to enter the Lord's favor. Let's be clear about how we can help others enter the Lord's favor. It's really the same as any other time in history. Uh, Right now, God is looking at you and he's looking at me. And he's saying, just trust me. Trust me. And I realized that can be tough. When God told Israel to observe a Sabbath year and trust in him to provide, that was a scary thing. But you know, trust always requires obedience. You can't say, God, I trust in you. I'm just not going to do what you told me to do. No, it doesn't work that way. And fortunately for us, we don't live in ancient Israel, so the Sabbath year doesn't apply in our situation. But God does ask us to trust him in some very specific ways. First, God is calling you to trust in Jesus, to free you 
from the slavery of sin. In the Old Testament, the Jubilee was a time when debts were paid, slaves were released, and captives were set free. But in Jesus, the Jubilee is not a period of 365 days. Jesus is the Jubilee forever. Jesus will free you from sin, not just for today, but for all eternity. And that freedom comes in two important stages. Stage one is what happens when you begin a life-changing relationship with Jesus. When you give your life to Christ, he removes the guilt of sin. You go from 0% forgiven to 100% forgiven. You have a clean slate. It's just as if you never sinned. But there's also a second stage of freedom. When you live for Christ, he breaks the power of sin. You don't have to be a slave to sin anymore because God's Holy Spirit lives in you. He gives you the power to resist temptation. He he gives you a deeper love for God and a deeper love for others. Now that, That doesn't mean that a follower of Jesus will live a perfect life, but it doesn't mean, but it does mean that we don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. Jesus brings freedom. So are you trusting in Jesus in this area? If so, you're taking steps of obedience. And if you haven't yet taken the clear step to give your life to Jesus and be baptized, then do that. Or or if you have given your life to Jesus and you're struggling with a particular sin, don't go on living in slavery. Take a step of obedience. Confess your sin. Get the help that you need. You know, in a lot of cases, we need the support of a brother or sister in Christ, someone who will encourage us and hold us accountable. And that, that's why it's so important to be in relationships with other followers of Jesus. That's why we love to see people get into a small group like a huddle where, where you can build those relationships. But there's one more step of trust that I want to leave you with. Here today, God may be calling you to trust in Jesus to give you rest. Remember what happened in the year of Jubilee. It was a time of extended rest. It was a time of renewal and restoration for the land and also for the people. And this isn't just something from the past. Jesus wants this for you today. Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. For all of us who are completely exhausted right now, Doesn't that sound good? I know for a fact, a lot of us are weary. A lot of us are burdened. But Jesus makes this promise, come to me and I will give you rest. You know, as I began to study for this sermon, I had a preconceived notion of what I would be talking about. I knew the focus would be on the year of the Lord's favor, and I knew that had to be about freedom from sin. And it's true, freedom from the slavery of sin is a huge part of what it means to experience the year of the Lord's favor. But I'll be honest, I didn't expect to talk about this other part. Uh, When I went back to Leviticus and I saw what God established in the year of Jubilee, I began to understand just how much God wants us to rest in him. And you can find that rest no matter what's going on. Some of you may be going through a really difficult time right now. 
Some of you may be dealing with sickness or grief. Uh, Maybe you're discouraged or brokenhearted. But if your life is in Christ, you are living in the year of the Lord's favor. You can find rest in God. In Psalm 62, David said, Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress and I will never be shaken. This is the way forward for us as a church and also for us as individual followers of Jesus. First, we find freedom and rest in Christ And then we share the good news with others and we help others find freedom and rest in Christ. There's no reason to wait. 2021 can be the year of the Lord's favor. So don't miss it. Let's pray. Father, it is so good to know that no matter what is going on, no matter what challenges we face, we can find rest in you because of Jesus because of what Jesus has accomplished. So Lord, uh, I know that each one of us has a step to take, a step closer to you. And I pray that we will trust in you to take that step of obedience. And I pray that we will find that freedom and that rest. In Jesus' name, amen.